0: Our reading is from the Gospel of John chapter 20 starting at verse 1 <coughs> Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone that had that saw the stone had been removed from the entrance so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved and said They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been round Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where the body of Jesus had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her.
1: It just doesn't make sense. How often have you said that to yourself? About a situation or something you see on the news or something happens. Where's the sense in that? It doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up. You can see Peter and the beloved disciple thinking that on their way back from the tomb. Nothing was making any sense. Mary had come and said, the stone's been rolled away. They'd been there and seen that for themselves. They'd seen the strips of cloth lying in the tomb where Jesus' body had been. They went in and they saw the cloth that had been wrapped around his head, tied it away by itself. They saw the disciple who loved Jesus believed, but none of it made any sense. They couldn't really grasp what had happened. The evidence of their eyes defied explanation. They hadn't learned to read the scriptures in the new light and understand it was always part of God's plan that Jesus should rise again from the dead. And we might be puzzled reading the accounts. How come, we might ask, after Jesus had spoken so clearly and so frequently about his resurrection about laying down his life to take it up again, how come they didn't remember that and realize that this was precisely what Jesus had said would happen? Was Jesus not as outspoken as the Gospel writers would have us believe on this subject? Were the disciples so overwhelmed with their grief at the apparent finality of the death of Jesus that his words just were too distant and sounded too hollow and ineffectual for them to certainly store by them? Or are we guilty of judging them with the benefit of hindsight because we know how the story ends. We know that they will meet Jesus and the truth of Jesus' words will be vindicated. But for them, the memory of what Jesus said and the sight of an empty tomb, that combination was not enough to overturn the one thing that they could be sure of on the basis of universal human experience. And that is that once someone's died and their body has been buried, that's it that's the end. Nothing happens after that. And some of us struggle to make sense of the Easter story because resurrection is outside of our experience and we don't understand what to make of the story of Jesus rising from the dead. And what about Mary? What was she about? She knew that Jesus had been crucified. She knew that he had died and was buried and the tomb had been sealed with a stone that was far too heavy for her to be able to do anything about. And yet she went there in a totally futile gesture, first thing on the Sunday morning, carrying spices even though she knew she wouldn't be able to get to Jesus' body. What was that about? But there's nothing rational about grief. She just knew that she had to be there at Jesus' graveside, even though she wasn't quite sure what she would do when she got there. And it's because there's nothing rational about grief that no one really believed her or knew what to make of her words when she came back and said, I've been to the tomb and and, and the stone's been rolled away and the grave's empty. Uh, And the focus shifts to to, to Peter and the beloved disciple and they go up and they race to the tomb and they look inside and they go inside and they, they see the grave clothes, and they go away wondering what's happened. And it's like they're ignoring Mary and she disappears completely from the narrative and once they've gone home, oh Mary, she's still there. What happened to her? Was she still walking back to the tomb as they had come back and, and, and done their business and found nothing to, to uh, expand on what she'd said? And even for some reason when she meets Jesus... When she glances over her shoulder at him, she doesn't recognize him. She assumes he's just a gardener. It's only when he calls her by name that she realizes who it is, turns around and flings her arms around him, only for Jesus to disentangle himself and say, You can't hold on to me because I've not yet gone back to my father. It's as if Jesus delayed going back to see his dad so he could hang around and spend those few moments with Mary before he disappeared. She was ignored by the disciples, almost forgotten by us as we read the story and how it unfolds. But Jesus remembered her and stayed behind to meet her. Faced with stories of Jesus' resurrection, we find ourselves way out of our depth in terms of our ability to understand really what is going on. It's outside our experience, it's outside our frame of reference. It's hard to make sense of it all. But actually that's often the case, isn't it, when death crosses our path. It frequently doesn't make sense and we're left uncomprehending and confused. I'm grateful to Richard for sharing with us this morning, not just because it's an opportunity for us to have insight into his work, but because it reminds us that we're dealing with reality here. The Easter story is not an escapism into fluffy chicks and chocolate eggs. It's about the reality of death in our world and our difficulty to make sense of it, which is why often we, we prefer not to remember the images that he's shown us this morning. We choose to forget. Carol mentioned the South Korean disaster ferry. Hundreds of children die when it mysteriously runs aground and capsizes. The sense of tragedy compounded by the realisation that perhaps more of them could have been saved if they hadn't been told to stay where they are. The missing airliner still defying our capacity to explain it. And then you get what, by comparison, are minor incidents. Two French people killed in an accident on the M26. Three people killed in clashes in the Ukraine. A 12-year-old schoolgirl is killed when a wall at her school collapses and falls on her. Small numbers of people dying needlessly, senselessly. All the way back to the four people killed in the Great Fire of London, one of whom was a servant girl who was too scared to go out onto the rooftops and escape the bakery where the fire started. At one level, we all understand that we're mortal and fragile and vulnerable and one day we'll die, but making sense of that, You can't get your head around it. And in our confusion and uncertainty, the Gospel writers present us not with an explanation of everything, because when you're wrapped up in grief and you don't understand and nothing makes any sense, words of comfort, word of explanation don't engage. What the Gospel writers do is present us with the risen Jesus. An enigmatic figure who also escapes our capacity to explain him. But standing there in the garden, not dead and buried in the grave where everyone expected him to be, but up and about and definitely alive, somehow the same person yet different in some intangible way. Yet perhaps this might just add to our confusion, because if two of life's certainties are death and taxes, yet Jesus, who was dead, is now alive again, then we can't take anything for granted anymore. And in John's narrative, Jesus seems to be the only one who has a clue what's going on. And he's consistently behaved as if he is in control of his own life and death, to the extent that he talks about laying down his life and taking it up again, which none of us is ever in a position to be able to do. John gives us no scientific explanation of what happened that day, of how the the body which had been dead and buried was now up and about again. There's no extended theological or philosophical explanation of Jesus' death and resurrection. There is just Jesus. There. Alive. Real. Meeting Mary. Why are you crying, he says? Who are you looking for? Duh. Surely he knows the answers to those questions. Is he taking on the role of a counsellor here? Inviting her to express our feelings, to to get what what she's thinking and feeling out into the open so she can come to terms with it? Is he genuinely puzzled why she's come looking for a dead body in a grave when he's up and about? Is he just gently trying to make contact with her, to prepare her for the shock of realising that really He's not dead. He is alive. He's there, standing right behind her. He's behind you, Mary. It's only when Jesus speaks her name, Mary, that the penny drops and she realises that Jesus really is alive. And it's he that's been speaking to her. Take a moment to look around you. Church this morning is full of people who one way or another have had some kind of encounter with Jesus. They mightn't have seen him as Mary did, but they may well have had some kind of experience of him calling them, maybe by name, maybe saying, talk to that person in the telephone box, but in some way, the reality of Jesus being alive has taken hold of most people here today. And for many of us that belief is the absolute bedrock of our lives and nothing is the same because Jesus is alive and we've heard him calling our name. And we know he's alive not because you've listened to a sermon not because you've read about it in the gospel, not because you've worked out that it's philosophically possible, but because the reason Jesus said, Oi, you, I'm alive, I'm Lord, I lay claim to your life. And here's the tricky thing for me as a minister. Putting my cards on the table, I have to say that I want you to believe in Jesus. And I'm not alone in this. John says he wrote his gospel in the hope that those who read it would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing they would have life in his name but I can't manufacture an encounter between you and the risen Lord, and I would never want to manipulate anyone into a situation which made them believe. But what I can say this morning is, Jesus is alive. You might understand how or, or why that works. And he certainly won't meet you in the garden outside Jerusalem, But maybe because he is alive, one day you will have an encounter when you hear him speaking, addressing you personally, and you know that he's real and that he is alive and that he's your Saviour and Lord. If you want to meet him for yourself, then clearly being him in church on a Sunday morning on Easter is a good start. But many people have had their lives changed by praying a prayer and says. Show me that you're real. Show me that you're alive. Or what do you want me to do with my life? But be careful if you pray a prayer like that. Because he is alive and because he's real, saying that kind of prayer could change your life. When that happens, we still find ourselves in a world where so many things don't make sense where we're conscious of our own frailty and mortality, so much senseless, needless, pointless suffering. But we also know that there is one who has called us by name. And because his Father is our Father and his God is our God, we can trust him for all those things that we can't understand. And it would be great sometimes when life is tough or faith is weak if we could hold on to him physically, but he won't let us do that. But what is true is that once he, once he takes hold of your life he never lets you go. And when we reach the limits of our understanding when we reach the end of our lives he is the one who brings us through death and out the other side into life again. The Bible doesn't give us answers for all the things we don't understand. It gives us jesus up and about large as life declaring because i live you will live too we may not understand but he invites us to put our trust in him as lord and savior the one who knows us by name and calls us to live our lives for him The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah.